Amen. Thank you so much, Grace and Ben. Good morning, everyone. Wow, thank you for that. Seriously, makes my, makes my day, makes my morning. Um, well, beloved, uh, it is an honor and really a privilege to always get to, uh, anytime that I get to be able to share from the Word uh, this morning. And, um, you know, before you were all uh, coming in, before the doors opened, just spending some time um, reflecting on all of the different people that are going to fill these seats and how every single, fee, every single seat that is filled uh, contains a soul, um, one whom Jesus loves, one who Jesus died for, one who Jesus rose for, one who Jesus is coming back for. And no matter where you're at this morning, whether you are paying attention or whether you're not, whether you're awake or whether you're not, um, I want you to know that you're loved and that Jesus is inviting you in to these next moments to encounter him together in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I firmly believe um, that as we go to uh, prayer here in a couple moments and as we talk about the practice of prayer this morning, um, I firmly believe that, that God can do more in one minute of prayer than I or anyone else could do in one hour of teaching or preaching. And so we're going to have some moments or during the next 25 minutes where we're just going to simply pause and remember God's presence around us, but most importantly, by his spirit within us. And so uh, by way of just kind of setting this up again, I just want to remind you all of this season that we're in as we are journeying through the book of Ephesians as one of the ways that we are living out this theme of abundant life that's overarching all of chapel this year of 2019 and 2020, how we've turned a corner from uh, looking at the first uh, really half of Ephesians, we're finishing up the first half this morning, which really focuses on who I am in Christ, focuses on identity. That shaped our quads one and two. And it's very fitting that as Ephesians closes that section, verse, uh, chapters one through three, that Paul transitions from who I am in Christ, who we are, our identity, to how we are to live in Christ. And that transition transitionary moment, that key moment happens in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I want to invite you, if you have uh, a Bible, to turn there with me. And um, we're going to be looking at the second of Paul's prayers. And, you know, I, I was just mindful, yesterday we had, uh, we had great, so a couple of just great student testimonies, we had a, a conversation about the practice of prayer, and um, I, one of the questions that were asked, I've been thinking about actually uh, since yesterday morning was, who taught you how to pray? What was your upbringing on prayer? In other words, everyone is, 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 is taught how to pray by those whom they hear praying and those whom they pray with. And that prayer is something that is more caught than taught. In other words, we learn to pray by praying. And so if you grew up in a prayerless home, uh, you'll tend to maybe have a prayerless life. If you grew up in a very prayer-filled home in some ways, or there are certain rhythms of prayer, you tend to kind of repeat your experience. And sometimes that's for the good, and sometimes that's for the maybe not so good, and some things you need to unlearn. So I've been really mindful um, of, of how uh, my wife and I are teaching our kids to pray, um, not so much by our words, but by our life and our actions. And of course, we know, you know, maybe one of the common places of prayers around the dinner table. And, um, and uh, 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 last week, uh, we were praying, and uh, our son Bennett was up on the, on the chair, 
And, and I said, okay, Bennett, uh, let, let's pray before we eat. Or sometimes we pray while we eat or after we eat because sometimes, th- sometimes things are just crazy. And he, um, I said, okay, Bennett, I said, do you want mommy to pray or daddy to pray? And he goes, daddy, pray. So I pray. And then I, and then I say amen. And, then, and our amens, we go amen just for fun. I don't know, you know. And then, and then he goes, mommy, pray. And then mommy prays, amen. And then we both turn to Bennett and we go, Bennett, now you pray. And he goes, and he gets, he gets this shy look on his face. He kind of looks at us like this. And then he gets this look of discouragement. And he goes, it's not working. <laughs> I'm like, oh, buddy. But here's the thing. I've, that stuck with me. And I don't know how many of you maybe feel that way sometimes when you think about prayer. Or maybe when you go to pray and you just feel like, it's not working. <laughs> and I want you to know that if that's you, you're in good company. Um, because when we talk about the practice of prayer, you know that phrase, practice makes? Okay? That does not apply to prayer. Okay? Practice of prayer does not make perfect prayer. Practice of prayer makes passionate and consistent prayer. A practice of prayer builds in a rhythm and a consistency and a conviction of prayer no matter what is happening in your life. And how about this? How many of you have ever been interrupted or distracted when you pray? Okay. And everyone said, right? Um, now, what's so cool, sometimes what's distracting you and sometimes what's interrupting you uh, can actually be the Holy Spirit guiding you if you're paying attention. And what's interesting, if you're already, hopefully you're there in Ephesians 3, um, that's almost exactly what happens here. Because in, in Ephesians 3, 1, whereas we're, we're going to be focusing on verses 14 through 21, um, but we'll be tying in the first half of it. But Paul starts off each section for this reason. And he starts off for this reason, and then there's like this huge parenthetical comment where he gets on this rabbit trail that's led by the Holy Spirit, because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but, and he starts to pray, but then he goes, hold on a second, and then he gets on this other train of thought, and then he wraps it up, and then he says, okay, for this reason, and then he goes to the prayer. And, uh, and so, in other words, um, this is, uh, this, this for this reason is a, is a key in setting up um, the reason why we pray. And while I cannot say everything that Ephesians chapter 3 says in our, in our short moments that we have, what I want to offer us and suggest for us this morning is, is seven principles for practicing prayer. Seven principles of practicing prayer. And real briefly, I want to give just a, I tee up a definition of prayer because um, our definition determines our, de- our, our direction. So in other words, the direction of prayer. And, and the most succinct uh, biblical uh, uh, definition of prayer that I've heard comes from an old evangelist, Alvin Reed, and he says it this way, prayer is intimacy with God. Do you see that? Prayer is that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. So prayer is intimacy with God. That's our focus, is intimacy with God and others, this quad. And prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. So these are seven principles that I see in Ephesians 3 that help us cultivate intimacy, prayer that leads to the fulfillment of God's purposes. But would you read with me starting in verse 14? Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And Lord, as I read this text, as we read it together, that is our prayer this morning. May this text not just be explained, but Holy Spirit, help me to do so faithfully. But may this text be experienced by us all this morning by the power of you, Holy Spirit, at work within us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So here, I have, I have seven, um, and actually I thought of an eighth one that I'm going to slide in there just for a bonus. And um, here's the first prayer principle to help us cultivate intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. And, this, and it's this. Practice, the practice of prayer is not centered on our circumstances. It's not centered on our circumstances. If we were to go back for the first for this reason, Paul uh, gives us a window into the context that maybe we know from the historical context, but the first time we know in the letter where Paul is writing from. And he reads, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he says this, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So this idea that Paul recognizes, and notice that he says, I'm a prisoner, not of what formerly would be the emperor of, of that time, which would be Emperor Nero, who hated Christians and persecuted them um, in horrific ways. He says, I'm actually a prisoner of Christ. He saw God as sovereign over his circumstances. So since Christ is constant, prayer can be constant. But since our circumstances are always fluctuating and changing, if we, if we hitch our prayers to our circumstances, then we unhinge ourselves from consistency in the practice of prayer. And so this idea of uh, there's a difference between praying out of crisis and praying out of conviction. And often when you reach a crisis in your moment, and, so, and, and they're both good, but the latter is better. Paul was in a moment of, of, of crisis. He's writing from prison. But yet he had cultivated a practice of prayer that he knew once he arrived in that moment of crisis, he wasn't confused about why he was there. He, didn't, he wasn't asking the question, why am I in prison? He wasn't asking the question, why am I chained to this? Why am I bound? He actually says later on in verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So we can actually see that our circumstances can actually be an avenue by which God can benefit us and others. So we, our, our, our circumstances are, are, don't center our prayer, but our circumstances can provide a pathway for us to intercede and pray in specific ways. And I'm mindful this week as we um, are just had celebrated, the reason why we had a three-day holiday was commemorating the life and the ministry and the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., and I was mindful as I was studying this of another letter that was written from a prison cell. Another letter that was written from a place of prayer and a posture of humility before God. And that was the letter from the Birmingham jail. Where Martin Luther King saw himself in jail ultimately as a result of doing gospel work. A prisoner not of local authorities but of Christ and for Christ 
for doing the work of Christ by standing up peacefully against the ways that injustice and racism and segregation were rearing its ugly head in his day. And one commentator on this says that as the events of the Birmingham campaign intensified on the city streets, Martin Luther King Jr. composed a letter from the prison cell in Birmingham in response to local religious leaders' criticisms of the, comp- of the campaign. You see that he had, uh, in an effort to revive the campaign, uh, King and others uh, had donned work clothes and they marched from 6th Avenue Baptist Church into a waiting police wagon. And on the day of his arrest, eight Birmingham clergy members wrote a criticism of the campaign and it was published saying that it was unwise and untimely in, a, in appealing to both the white and the Negro citizenry to observe the principles of law and the order of common sense. And so he's writing this in response to say, this is why I'm in prison. This is why I was doing what I was doing. And I love that King actually appeals to the early church in the way, in the way that they modeled facing specific circumstantial persecution as a result of their faithfulness to God's call. He writes this, The early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And beloved, that when we view our circumstances, our lives and our prayers ought, ought not just to be a thermometer of our, thercum, our, our circumstances. Our prayers actually contribute to be the thermostat actually to bring change. Not first to our circumstances, but first to your character and then through you to your circumstances. So prayer is not centered on our circumstances, but secondly, prayer is grounded in the, in the grace of God, in God's grace. Paul goes on to say in, in, in verse 2 of, ch- of chapter 3, he says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He goes on in verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, Paul was one who was enraptured by the grace of God. Grace initiates and reveals, and grace demands a response. Grace is something that is a gift that is given that is meant to be stewarded. And the way that we steward it, the way that we cooperate with God's grace, is to enter into that place of prayer. And grace frees us to pray as we are so that we can further become as God is shaping us to be. And what I love, what's interesting about grace is that it both humbles us and it empowers us. It humbles us because we recognize that we are so unworthy of such a great gift. Yet it also empowers us because this gift is just too good to keep it to ourselves. This grace had to be made known. This grace had to be expressed with praise, with thanksgiving. This is what enabled and empowered Paul to preach. And, to, and, and this br- grace makes us bold and unwavering in the face of trial. I love what one pastor and author, Brian uh, Chappelle, writes of this, and he says this, that being enraptured with grace is the nature of the Christian calling. Such awe of grace certifies our calling as genuine and energizes it in the face of sacrifices. The truly called are so enraptured by the grace of God toward them that the attacks of others, the difficulties of circumstances, their lack of worldly comfort, and their lack of recognition of the world do not dissuade them from the joy of proclaiming Christ. So when we realize that prayer is grounded in God's grace, we are compelled to come confidently near. I love in, later on in verse 12, in Ephesians 3.12, it says that 
uh, in whom we have boldness. In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith of him. Why? Because God's throne is one of grace. So it's grounded in God's grace, which means no matter where you are, what you're going through, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, you have an open road. You have a path cleared. The curtain, every wall, every barrier of intimacy has been removed. That's what chapter 2 is all about. So come. And so that idea is, when we, it, it is, is to come and to draw near. So, God's, so prayer is grounded in God's grace. But thirdly, pray, the practice of prayer is scripture fed. The practice of prayer is scripture fed. Paul says that the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it's been now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise through the gospel. You see, this, this idea that revelation, our primary mode of revelation that we have, the special revelation that we have, is that, and that, that Paul received by God's grace, it fed, not only the, the, the revelation Paul received fed into the prayer that he would go on to pray in the second half of chapter 3, but this idea is that we have the Holy Scripture. That we have Scripture as God's special revelation to us. That the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself implies that he wants to be known. And that he's made a pathway for us to respond and to come to him and to enter into relationship with himself. You see, the Bible is our foundation for prayer because it provides a limitless resource of revelation of who he is. And it's, it's a well-documented but often uh, unknown fact that Martin Luther King Jr. had what he called a rule of life that guided his daily living which shaped his choices, formed his words, and fed his actions. And at the very top of the list was this, to meditate daily on the teachings and the life of Jesus. To meditate daily on the teachings and the life of Jesus. He was in the scriptures. And as King would do this, no doubt that's what marked the mission and the message of Christ. Was the, he would notice that the, the mission and the message of Christ was marked by his intimacy with the Father, which was expressed in that place of prayer, that Jesus had this practice, this rhythm of prayer, that if Jesus did this, how much more do we? But yet it's fed, uh, this, this idea that when we're, when we're taught to pray, I don't know about you, but if I look back in my life, I, I was taught to pray often with a clo- with, bow, with a bowed head, with closed eyes, and in a closed Bible. And what I want to commend to you this morning, and there's so much more that could be said in this, but is to simply flip that on its head and reverse that process. Pray with open eyes and pray with an open Bible. And as you read, as you read, allow what you read to feel what you pray. Because how often, when you, when you start a conversation, um, do you ever notice that someone who starts a conversation usually is the one who drives and leads the conversation? And one of the most practical ways that we can do that is to physically open the scriptures read and recognize that God is the initiator. We are the responder. I love the words that I quoted of Eugene Peterson yesterday, that prayer is first and foremost answering speech. We're not initiating, we're responding. And in the scriptures, God is making himself known to us. So a practice of prayer is scripture fed. Never divorce your Bible reading from your practice of prayer. They're meant to go together. They're meant to be wed together as one. And the next, the practice of prayer is spirit-led. It's spirit-led. And this is where Paul goes on to pray in verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So beloved, here's the the point. You cannot pray apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot pray as you are. Without the Holy Spirit, you arrive at my son's words. So young but yet so wise, it's not working. And, and, And this idea is that we need to be strengthened with the Spirit's power. Because prayer is supernatural, so we need a supernatural uh, strength and an energy in order to gauge in a supernatural activity. And, and this idea, this strength of the Spirit comes, I love that Paul says, according to the riches of God's glory. And do you know that there's a difference between giving according to someone's riches and giving out of someone's riches? See, if, if, let's just say, if a, if say, for example, a billionaire were to give out of, of his riches or her riches. And they were just to simply say, um, okay, I'll write you a check. And, you know, University of Northwestern student, you need to pay your tuition. Okay, um, here's $50. You'd be like, great, thanks. But, like, that's a tank of gas, a, a, one Chipotle, and, like, a naked juice in the billy. Like, that's it. Like, I'm not going to get a lot from that, right? Like, you could be grateful. But if a billionaire, you knew this person was a billionaire, wrote you a check and said, here's your tuition for the next three semesters, that would be giving according to the riches because the, the measure of the gift needs to, match, needs to match the wealth of the giver. So if God is giving you according to his riches, what does that mean? The very fullness of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just give you a little bit of power. He doesn't just give you a little dividend at the end. He gives you the full bank in the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And this is this idea, what I love, how many of you, if you could imagine for a moment, what's your favorite book? Okay, outside of the Bible. Good Sunday. Good Sunday school answer. If you could imagine your favorite book, whatever your favorite author, maybe you don't read. Okay, maybe it's your favorite song, worship artist, whatever. Imagine if you could sit there with the lyrics or the text of your favorite book or favorite song with the person who wrote it. Wouldn't that be amazing? But friends, okay. Even though it's different and there's not the physical tangibleness in the same way that we would have if we were with, with, our, with an actual offer. When we sit down with the scriptures, we actually get to have a conversation with the author. Because we have the same Holy Spirit who inspired the words of Paul, writing from this prison, living and residing in you in I, and then illuminating it so that we can understand what was on the Holy Spirit's heart, what was on Paul's heart, and, 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 and how we're supposed to pray and how we're supposed to live according to it. So we actually get to have a conversation with the author, with the Holy Spirit. We have a personal prayer tutor that lives and dwells in us. And I have a, a good friend and mentor of mine, Daniel Henderson, once said this, that, the, that God is not the author of boredom, especially when we're conversing with him. Would you just say this with me? God is not boring. God is not boring. Okay, now say this with me. I am boring. Okay, if you're bored in prayer... It's because your prayers are more self-led than spirit-led, okay? And so that idea, there's nothing bored about prayer because there's nothing bored about, there's nothing boring about God. And it's not about prayer. Prayer is the means to intimate, prayer is intimacy with God. It's that connection with God. So all of you, you should get excited about this idea that we have bold and complete and direct access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That we have the Holy Spirit who hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis 1 and the word of God was spoke and explosive power happened and out of nothing created everything 
In the same way, we have the Holy Spirit living dwelling in us when we are opening the very word of God and we're going to him in prayer and we're saying, I'm weak, God, it's not working. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how I'm supposed to pray. The Holy Spirit interacts with the word of God in explosive creative power. Something happens supernaturally in your life when you go to him in prayer. Beloved, you ought to get excited. Someone ought to be clapping their hands right now. That is, that is amazing. That is amazing. And so the practice of prayer is spirit-led. And I, I am foolish to think that I could get through seven prayer principles in 25 minutes. But let's keep moving. The fifth one, the practice of prayer is worship-based. The practice of prayer is worship-based. I love this. Paul says, for this reason, the second time he says it, in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And he goes on to say, that after according to the riches of his, of, of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. I love this, the posture of prayer. Bowing knees shows reverence and earnestness. Do you know it was actually very uncommon for Jews to have that physical posture? The primary one was one of standing. So the fact that Paul is kneeling and he's on his knees as he's chained to a Roman guard shows a humility shows an earnestness, shows a reverence. There's no one, on el- no one else Paul would bow his knee to. When's the last time you were on your knees in prayer? When you reflect on all of who God is and all that he's done, all that he's doing, how could you not be overwhelmed with gratitude, with worship, with praise? And bow your knees. And I love this, that this word, this word, key word I want to point on, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. It conveys not just the idea of inhabiting, but one of settling down. It's the difference between a short-term resident and a long-term resident. When a person takes up a long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. Have you ever experienced that? If you were to walk into someone's office or someone's room, you say, oh yeah, I get, I get, I get why this place is set up this way. Because it, it reflects the character of the one living there. That's what God wants to do. He wants to live and dwell in us in such a way that he transforms us into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. And even though I may not get through all seven, here's the bonus one that I I wanted to do a quick attach and a quick parenthesis here. Prayer is practiced both privately and corporately. Notice all the body language here, all the corporate language. Notice all the family and the body language here of Jews and Gentiles, the family, the household of faith, covenant people, and here, here, private prayer and corporate prayer are both equally personal. And someone has maybe once asked, what's more important, private prayer or corporate prayer? To which I would reply, yes. <laughs> In other words, it's like asking if you're flying at a plane 30,000 feet, what's more important, the left wing or the right wing? Well, well beloved, they both, they be, they best, they, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they best both be working, beloved. Okay, there's the... But here's the thing, if you find yourself and you feel like you're just kind of wandering and you're just kind of going, it might be because you're out of balance. If you're only just praying all by yourself and it's all about you and Jesus, you need to get with others. If you're only experiencing prayer when you come to chapel and you're just, you know, maybe say a little prayer, a little opening, closing thing, or you're leaving in prayer or whatever, whatever it is, then maybe you need, you need to get alone with, with, with the Father like Jesus did. So this idea, um, oh goodness gracious. Friends, the point is this. For prayer to be worship-based is we become like what we worship. 
and the only enduring motive that God, for, for prayer, the why of, of prayer is worship. Because God is the only one that's worthy to be sought. Here's the last, the last two. Sixth one, the practice of prayer prioritizes kingdom requests. The practice of prayer prioritizes kingdom requests. I love this. Paul says in verse 18 that we would have strength. Why? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, one's prayer requests are a window into their priorities. To be sure, there is not a single request too little or insignificant in the eyes of our Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. Yet, it's powerful to notice Paul's prayer request here says nothing about his circumstances and instead focuses on the character of the Ephesian believers. He has an extreme others focused in his prayer. And I I love this one one, uh, author, theologian, John Stott, calls this Paul's prayer staircase. And each step keeps getting higher and higher. In other words, it starts very inward, the very, very heart of hearts, the inner man, and then it expands to the very, that we're filled with the fullness of God. And that he prays according to the riches of God's glory. He prays for this for the Ephesians, and here's this. Make this your list. Listen to this. To be strengthened by the indwelling Christ through his spirit. Number two, to be rooted and grounded in love. Number three, that they would know the limitless love of Christ in all of its dimensions. And I love this. He says breadth, length, height, depth. In other words, that we can see the breadth so far. If we look in Ephesians, what he's covered so far, what he's written briefly as he says, we can see the breadth of God's love in his acceptance of both Jew and Gentile equally in Christ. That all people, all nations, throughout every scope, of the, every corner of this planet are meant to come into his kingdom. That we can see the length of God's love as we look back in choosing us before the foundation of the world for salvation that will last through all of eternity. We see the height of God's love in having blessed us with Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. We can see the depth of God's love in reaching down into our sins, saving us, redeeming us, and adopting us into his family. That we see the full limitless expansion of Christ's love and that we would be filled right up to the very fullness of God. So imagine if you were to make that your prayer list. And, um, and I love that one, one last uh, illustration from Martin Luther King. He actually delivered a sermon at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church where he pastored on November 4th, 1956 and it was an imaginary letter written by Paul from Ephesus to the American Church of MLK's day. And look it up, Google it, read it. It's powerful. But he, he basically closes this idea that, that love is the only enduring and the only lasting virtue. And that pray for a love. If your love has grown cold, and it's very interesting that he's writing from Ephesians because Ephesians would be the ones that later on Jesus would write to in the book of Revelation to John who pastored the, the Ephesian church the saying that they lost their first love. So it all hinges on this. What do I pray about? Pray that you would be rooted in God and, God and grounded in God's love and that you would know the limitless expansion of, of Christ's love in all of its dimensions. And then this last prayer principle is this. In, my, in, a, in this closing minute, the practice of prayer leads to gospel action. The practice of prayer leads to gospel an, a, action. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. It's been said that you can do more than pray once you've prayed, but you cannot tr- truly do anything worthwhile until you have prayed. And so this idea is that prayer is meant to lead you into action and to be considering how might God be moving you into action this next season and semester. So would you pray with me as we close? Lord Jesus, I pray, and I simply pray wanting to bow my knee for the reason that Paul bowed his knee, that I am in awe of your grace, that I am in awe of the fact that I've been a recipient of the gospel and that you have changed me and brought me from death to life. And Lord, I bow my knee to you, my Father, who you are good, as we sung, from whom every person on this earth is named. And, 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 this, and, and this idea that it's every single, all of God's people have the same origin, it's you. So I believe, Jesus, with all my heart, that before we walk out of the room today, that you want to impress upon us your grace to awaken us to come to you boldly today. And that we would develop uh, a, a practice of prayer that would, that, would, that would deepen a passion that would be rooted and grounded in your love no matter what our circumstance. And Lord, that this, these, this practice of prayer would lead us to united, concerted, consistent action that would lead to gospel action. So Lord, move us into action today. But help us to begin first by seeking your face. We love you so much. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you. You are dismissed. Have a great day.